You are tuning in to the Game Sports Show, powered by the Game Entertainment and Media, or known as GEM. This is the Little Caesars Pizza Special Edition Upload. Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, where there are three locations within the community and many more locations nationwide. Little Caesars Pizza is the largest carryout pizza chain internationally. Convenient, delicious, and cost-effective is a brief yet simple way to describe Little Caesars Pizza. You can order online through their user-friendly online pizza portal. Why wait any longer? Get on those phones, download the app, or get on your computer and make that order right now the game sports show and gem thanks little caesar's pizza in particular little caesar's pizza in sioux st Marie, ontario for its support booyah it's time for the game sports show it is your host david mccaig jr bringing you another special edition upload powered by the game entertainment and media and sponsored by little caesar's pizza in particular little caesar's pizza in sioux st marie ontario getting to our special edition co-host Joining yours truly here tonight, the one and only Alex Parr. He's a general sports analyst. You hear his voice on all these special edition uploads as well as multiple new shows. Alex, how are you, my friend? Doing well, Dave. Excited to get into another one here. Oh, yet another one. In the words of DJ Khaled, another one. Uh, getting to our Little Caesar Special Edition guest. This is going to be a little bit shorter of an introduction than the first time uh, we had him on. But he's a former NHL player, current uh, radio host for Sportsnet, goals for the Fan 590, former NHL for the Hurricanes, Blues, Coyotes, Penguins, and Maple Leafs. He played at just under 800 professional games between the NHL, AHL, and the Swedish Elite League. Also, he's a Stanley Cup champion. You should know his voice well, especially if you heard the Part 1 edition with him, the one and only Mike Zingamanis. Mike, thanks for coming on again for this Part 2 edition. Thanks, David. Thanks, Alex. Great to be back on again. Definitely. You know what? It was fun the first time, so it's always good when someone comes on the second time, because that means we did good the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, geez, the, sec- the second time, third time, I'm like, when... Well, am I on? What am I on the payroll here soon? <laughs> Gonna have to start sending you a check for sure. Hopefully, the third time is uh, when we got. Hopefully, got some video for that time around. But nonetheless, for this post opener, you know what? I want to go a weird question outside of hockey and outside. Well, I guess you can say uh, outside of hockey with uh, definitely this. But this is a weird question that myself and Alex actually brought up uh, on a, one of our news shows. I said, you know what? What guest do I want to bring this up to? And I, I, I thought to myself, I said, which one would be perfect for this? And I said, I think Mike would be, because yet he's coming on for a second time. Obviously, he had a good time for his first time. So I think it'd be okay if I went with a weird question. So it's a funny way to start the show. And the question Mike's is, I'm going to bullets right now, wondering what kind of weird direction <laughs> What kind of question is, is this going to be? So when you wake up in the morning and you put on your pants, Mike, which leg do you put in your pants first? Um, that is a good question. Uh, well, I usually start the mornings. I, I actually ride the bike, so I get a workout in the morning. Um, yep. and I watch the games from the night before and try to catch up on things I missed. Uh, it's usually at around between three, four, five a.m. And if I had to tell you <laughs> what, how, how today started, I, I couldn't even tell you, you know, uh, <laughs> Half the segments from the show this morning, that's, you know, some mornings are, are tougher than others, but yeah, the whole pre-show routine, it, it changes from day to day, but it's usually starts, you know, 3.30, 4am. Um, usually I'm in a bit of a, a little foggy most mornings trying to make the morning coffee and get my breakfast ready, but you know what? I'll get back to you on the third episode. I'll, I'll try to remember that. <laughs> I like it. it's, it's, see, it's put you on the spot. I actually thought you were going to go there that you didn't put pants on in the morning. That's actually what I, <laughs> I think that's what he was getting going. at. Yeah, that's where I thought you were going. I like that. I, that's absolutely hilarious. Now, the first topic we want to bring up off the hop, and I'm going to let Parr segue. This is something that we wanted to save in, intentionally for this part. And I think, Parr, actually, you found this out. I think it was midway through our first episode, and obviously we were kind of constrained for time since we have a little bit more time this time. I think you may have been asked this uh, before, but I'm going to give Parr the floor with this first official topic. Yeah, I gave myself a good old slap in the head not getting to this one. But does the date September 22nd, 2013 mean anything to you? (laughs) September 22nd, 2013. Um, I'm going to say... I think I was starting my season with Rochester. I was in Buffalo uh, training camp, maybe. Yeah. Or one or the other. Yeah, you were with Buffalo at the time. Uh, I'll give you a couple of hints. Uh, John Scott and Phil Kessel had a little <laughs> bit of an altercation that game. Yeah, yeah, I remember it quite. Uh, yeah, we actually had John Scott on on my show in, in, on 590. And 
we were talking i've had him on a couple times to talk about it it's uh it's one of those games where you don't really forget it started with uh we had a line brawl obviously and i'm sure everyone remembers that especially leafs nation it's kind of started a couple shifts before that with some fights and john scott and phil kessel got into it off kind of right before the draw and then all of a sudden it was just full line brawl i i got in a fight with uh, McMillan, I believe his name was, and it was just complete chaos on the ice. I think some players from the Leafs uh, jumped their bench. It was just a complete mess out there. But yeah, that was my last NHL game, exhibition game that I played in and, oh, wow. and left on a fight, which was kind of funny because I, I, I don't even think I had half dozen fights my you know whole 13 years. So it was kind of kind of fitting that I, I ended you know my last game getting ejected for for fighting but yeah I, I remember the game and <laughs> you know I, we had a good game actually for a fourth line me and me and Johnny so it was it was you know when I saw him and Phil get into it and Phil slash him I, I, I didn't really know what to think of that He's but those slashes <laughs> yeah yeah it was uh it was it was a fun game because I got to play against the guys yeah, I was with the Leafs and Marley's organization for three years so it was it was I was going against guys that that I knew pretty well, but yeah, that that whole line brawl, yeah, who can forget that? Yeah, now when you went out there because you were on the ice at the time, did, could you like sense that it was coming at this point, or were you just ready to go because you saw the rest of the boys checking them? Yeah, I had no idea. All of a sudden, it was, you know, I I looked over and there like I saw the slash, and then all of a sudden gloves were flying everywhere. Yeah, that's all I kind of really remember about it it was uh, how many line brawls are there are there now in today's <laughs> no. game but back then I mean there wasn't many and it was you, you we, there was a couple of big fights that game uh, I believe a couple guys got got hurt like guys, a couple guys were out for two three weeks after that with concussion and different injuries so it, it was a bit of a rough game I do remember that both teams dressed a lot of tough guys and things like that happen sometimes line brawls you, you don't know what can happen right and guys can get injured right usually you have two linesmen there keeping an eye on one fight but when you get five fights going usually the two linesmen two referees they just they kind of back out of everything and you're you know you're by yourself which is tough if you're fighting somebody tougher and in my case I was fighting a guy a lot tougher I was lucky I didn't get hurt <laughs> I, I, would you say that was probably one of the loudest times you heard that building in your tenure there <laughs> no, I had been to some playoff games in the past, uh, 2000 and, and one, our 2002, part of me against the Canes. I was there for a couple of games. It was loud. Heartbreak. Yeah. Oh. A couple of the series against the Senators years after that, it was pretty loud in there. Yeah. I I've been to some loud leaf games. I can remember the ones in Maple Leaf gardens really loud. The, the 92, 93, 94 seasons. So I, I've been in that building when it's been pretty loud, and it was it was loud for the line brawl. You don't usually hear it or feel it on the ice when you're playing. That's more of a you know fan experience. Yeah. Or if, if I'm covering the game as media, you can kind of pick up the you know the the level of the crowd. But when you're when you're playing, you don't really you don't hear the crowd too often. Especially with a massive defenseman's arm wrapped around your head, pulling you out of a pile. I can imagine that kind of interrupts your hearing of the game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> See, the, the thing is, like, I, and with you having John on your show, and, of course, David Clarkson jumped, was the one that dumped, jumped the bench in Toronto. It was his big, big contract that he signed in Toronto. We all know how that turned out. But, nonetheless, uh, there was an interesting article that I actually read, and you having John Scott, as I mentioned, on your show. Uh, he brought up, and I want to kind of educate the listeners to this quickly. Like, he provided a quote uh, to, this, to, this, to this author. Ian Oland was his name. Uh, is his name. Sorry. And now, of course, John Scott is retired after 10 professional years. According to Scott, the fight was the result of a game of chicken between him and Leafs coach, who was the coach at the time, Randy Carlisle. After the Leafs, Jamie Devine beat the doors off, was the words that John Scott used. Sabres Corey Trop and breaking his jock. And there's a mention where you mentioned injuries. And enraged Scott told Carlisle he would fight 
whichever player lined up across from him during the next faceoff. So Carlisle gave him, I guess, a little grin, and then he sends out the first line, which, of course, featured Phil Kessel. And Scott said, I can't imagine what's going through their head as they go on the ice because I'm like Red Ross, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. He sends out Phil Kessel and a bunch of skill guys. I'm just like, what to do? What do I do? Scott went forward with this promise, and the rest was history. That was the quote that he provided. So they're, they're, I'm not sure if John brought that up to you or not, but it definitely seems like kind of a Carlisle-esque move to say, okay, I'm going to fight whoever you put beside me. And he puts Phil Kessel out there with the expectation maybe that John wasn't going to do that. Then you have Phil out there just hacking down trees <laughs> to just try to knock down a tree nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I I I heard a, something similar to that, but yeah, I guess he thought he wouldn't. I mean, you throw you throw Kessel out there most nine times, you know, most <laughs> of the time you're not going to fight him, right? Yeah. But I guess he had to keep his word, right? And I mean, even if he did fight him, you know. If it was just going to be uh, the ref, if it wasn't a line ball and he would have jumped Phil, the linesman would have jumped in right away. So I, I, I don't think it would have been too serious. And I, I, I don't think John Scott was going to absolutely, you know, knock his head in. I, he probably would have grabbed him, wrestled him to the ground. But to actually, you know, go after him, I, I highly doubt it. But yeah, I mean, if a coach, if, if you go and tell a bench, I'm going to fight the next guy that lines up against me. Um, I mean, what are you, what are you going to do? And yeah, I guess John Scott wanted to keep his word, but yeah, started a full line brawl. How uh, much of uh, that brawl do you think went into John Scott eventually going up to be an all-star game MVP? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, good for the brand. Good for the yeah, brand. The whole, well, the whole MVP thing, he was in Phoenix, I believe, right? Yeah. At the time and, he was. Yeah. He was a huge fan favorite and Hey, if, if those are the rules and the players that get voted in are voted in by the fans. What are you going to do? Yeah. I, I know there was a lot of controversy around that when he did go and play in the all-star game and the league didn't want him there. And I mean, you can hear the, all the background, you know, how that all developed from him himself, you know, but yeah, it was unfortunate that it, it got blown out of proportion a little bit. The fans get to vote which players go to the game and they voted him in. I, I wish there wasn't, as much trying to keep him out of that game. And then I know he got moved. I think he got traded to Montreal, but didn't end up playing after that. So that was a, a bit of a complete mess. But yeah, if he's a fan favorite and going to the All-Star game, I, I thought it was great. And when it comes to the, the fun kind of outside parts that make the game interactive with fans, something that I feel like the NHL may be behind in some of the other of the four major North American sports is just being interactive with the fans and making it a little bit more almost fun, I guess. I mean, a lot of the answers from media interviews are pretty cut and dry. Players don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't have a lot of characters like you would in maybe the NBA or the NFL. Do you do you have any ideas on what the NHL might be able to do to make these players a little bit more, more of a brand? Like, you know, you can see P.K. Subban and Austin Matthews. They do a very good job with that. But what else could the NHL do to kind of help promote themselves? Yeah, that's. I feel like that's a topic that's been ongoing the last five, six years. And when you look at where the NBA and NHL were in the early 90s, there wasn't a big difference between revenue and sport popularity. That's something to look at because look how big the NBA is now. And, and I, I think their model has really worked and it's been about the players. Uh, for whatever reason, the NHL didn't go down that path. They left it more about the teams and, and the crest on the front. And uh, if, if you think it's that, um, you know, it's, it's tough to really pinpoint what actually the NHL needs to do to get to the point where the NBA is at. I, I think the NHL is not even in the, in the big four sports anymore. Uh, you know, it used to be baseball, basketball, football, and, and hockey, and in North in North in, in in the US, I believe UFC, boxing and and the MLS soccer are ahead yeah. of hockey right now in popularity. I, I'm not sure about Canada, but definitely in the US. So that's something to definitely be concerned at if you're gonna look at which sports are the most popular right now. With hockey though, it's can you pick like I, I know it's something I did my whole life, but can you pick a better live team game 
than than the game of ice hockey. And, and, and I don't think you can. I don't think there's nothing more exciting than a live NHL hockey game. So it's a little concerning when you have such a great product and it's not one of the biggest revenue sports in North America and it's not the most popular. So does the NHL, NHLPA have a little bit of work to get caught up to the NFL, NBA? Obviously, yeah. But what are the solutions? I, I really don't know, guys. If I had them, I'd, uh, you know, my first call would be to the NHL and, and to NHLPA on, on, on how to grow the game and make it as big as those other sports. But for for excitement and when you actually go to a sporting event, I think hockey's the best there is. Does the ESPN deal in the States excite you at all for potentially growing the game? Yeah, I think that's great. Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's one of those, uh, you know, situations where you can partner up with, with someone and have a, a media outlet like ESPN. It's going to grow the game a lot. Maybe that's what it takes to just get them on ESPN. ESPN's it's in every hotel. It's in every country. It's, it's running all day, right? Where where have you gone where you haven't seen ESPN? You're in an airport, anywhere you turn, every bar, it's every restaurant, right? So I think it's great exposure for the NHL. And maybe this is the path they need to to get back to where they were, um, you know, compared to the other major sports 20, 25 years ago. I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction. I definitely think anything that gets Stephen A. Smith talking about the NHL and interviewing Gary Bettman, which he just did a couple of days ago, I think I think that's huge. And my fingers are crossed that it keeps growing the game. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. And, and I saw that interview. I think it was pretty funny. And uh, Stephen A. Smith, I think he, he's talking about how he can't skate three feet. It was, it was hilarious. Uh, that's funny. And of course, we have our show through ESPN 1400 on the state side in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. So ESPN, when you think of sports in the States, you had you obviously have ESPN, you have Fox, etc. But the ESPN is big, and of course Gary Thorne. There's another guy who is a voice who would be interested to see if that all works on that end. But overall, it's going to be great. I know they're the type of brand with ESPN, and I can full regularly say this right now that they're going to give a lot of. They're going to talk about every team, obviously, but they like looking at those star players a lot. From what I kind of see from other sports that they cover, and and notice that so the teams like Matthews of the, so the Leafs, I guess, of course, but Matthews, Connor. McDavid, those type of players, which then can maybe give a bit more exposure to those Canadian teams, because we all know that what I really dislike is if I go across the river, even to Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, which is a border town with our home base here in Sioux, Ontario, and you go stay at the casino there, you go stay at a hotel, or you stay a bit down the line in the Upper Peninsula, that you don't get the opportunity to see those Canadian highlights. They don't even bother showing any of that. They don't look at anything Canadian, where when you're here uh, with Sportsnet, etc., you have the highlights. They're talking about the entire league, right? Every game that happened, everyone's giving their analysis, everyone's getting the extra love. Of course, Canadian teams are getting a bit more love in terms of length, in terms of the comparison to the American teams. But maybe with having ESPN and having highlights on their channels, maybe they can really start giving a bit more love to the Canadian game. Because that's where I think America is lacking, is they have such, obviously, so many teams in the States. There's a lot of great hockey markets in the States, of course. I think that exposure with the Canadian hockey side of things and the players that are on the Canadian side would be beneficial to those in the United States because of ESPN covering. I don't know if you agree, Mike, but I think that'd be big for coverage on the Canadian side as well. Yeah, I, I, it's just great for the game all around. And it's it's one of those things where I, I'm curious to see what happens, you know, in, in the next broadcasting rights deals in Canada. And then even in the U.S., there's, a, there's, uh, there's still some... Um, you know, there's still some opportunity for the Stanley Cup playoffs and, and um, you know, a number of different markets where if we can get NHL games into different corners of the U.S. and if it can grow in Canada, I think it's I think it's great for everyone. And with all the streaming services that are available now, I watch a lot of games uh, through Rogers Live on my laptop. And I think that's a, a great way for you know, to really, to really grow the game. Cause you know, not everyone's watching sports on their TV anymore. And I think that's a, it's definitely an opportunity for the NHL to go and explore. 
Definitely. Now, the next topic I want to drive, uh, dive into, sorry, Mike, is uh, I want to go back to your time in Pittsburgh a little bit where there's one thing I didn't really ask about Pittsburgh where, of course, you were a uh, Stanley Cup champion. And what I noticed to remember about that team for some reason is when when there was the Winter Classic at the time uh, before when they had the outdoor game like through HBO and having the outdoor games and having that background. Uh, like, I think it was Liv Scriber who used to do the voice uh, for, the, or for the, sorry, the HPO side of things. And one thing I noticed about Pittsburgh, and this is also what TK told me as well when we had him on the show, was this was a team that had a lot of superstitions. Right. This is and I recall some of those outdoor classic lead up documentary shows where before you go on the ice, Crosby and Malkin, I believe Crosby goes ahead of Malkin and Malkin went last and Malkin has to be last. There was no exceptions. He was the last one to go all the time. Or uh, like, was there any superstitions there that you noticed that that were funny that you remember or even yourself? Did you have a superstition as a hockey player? Yeah, there was a number of them. It got it it got better the longer I played. Some players, it gets worse every year they play. Crosby had the one. I, th- I think if you saw his his what was it? His I'm not sure if it was his that was his thousandth game where they all tied his skates before the game. Yeah, um, I thought that was pretty funny. And he's yeah. got a he's got a number of different superstitions. Nothing too crazy. Nothing that I would notice. The skate one. That's just something he did. I'm not, you know, I, I don't, there's a difference between superstition and routine. And I think a lot of guys use the superstition, I guess, to get in that routine, to get them in the right mind frame before they get ready for battle. And that's something that you can use it to your advantage. Great. As long as it doesn't get carried away. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I wasn't by the end of my career, it wasn't bad when I was, Younger, it depended on what skate you put on first and shin pad and elbow pad and different things like that. And then you'd switch it up if you had a bad week. So nothing too crazy. But yeah, you, you see guys with different things getting, you know, on the ice, whether they do a special stick handle, or they shoot a puck at a certain time or flip a puck over the boards. You see that even now in today's game, right? You have players that flip pucks to fans. There's no fans there, but the <laughs> players are still flipping pucks into the stands. So I, I think that's a funny one where where um, players are flipping a puck into a a, a big ad that's covering all the <laughs> covering the covering the seats. Who can hit that NHL logo or a team logo? The how many times? Yeah. <laughs> now you as a broadcaster, I know you said that like you get up in the morning, you go on the bike, so obviously keep in shape. And I'm gonna definitely make sure I remind you that what um, the which leg you put in your pants. We're gonna have to just get to that point. <laughs> uh, like outside of all that, before you go on air, like you can quote the famous Ron Burgundy, of course, Scotch, 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 down to my belly. He downloads or he downs a quick thing of Scotch when he was on Anchorman, which I'm sure you don't do when you're about to go live because you're working but do you have like anything before you go on air like honestly i've realized on my end what i do is when i put on i make sure i put on my right side of my headset first before my left and i don't know why it's just a habit it doesn't feel comfortable unless i do it that way which is a fun little secret now that alex knows that he's probably going to chirp me on other shows with that but that's totally fine uh they do you have any superstitions as a broadcaster anything at all that besides going on the bike in the morning no, nah, nothing. I get my green tea ready. Some days I have coffee. I usually have my smoothie ready from the night before, blend it up, get my water set, some of my supplements. But no, nah, nothing, nothing yet. I, I I don't have anything for for broadcasting. It's uh, you know, there's nothing I do before I go on. Like I said, it's it's early, guys, in the morning, and uh, I'm talking to Scotty a couple minutes before we go on just to. Yeah, yeah, make sure we're we're ready for that first segment. But yeah, nothing nothing too crazy. Oh, I'm weird, Alex. <laughs> when it comes to your co-host, do they do anything weird to get ready? Oh, I'm yeah, I'm actually not doing the show. I, I'm not in studio right now, so I'm doing it from home, and we FaceTime through our cell phone. And I I have a company Rogers laptop that I use and a special zoom audio interface that I get. I have my mic in front of me, but yeah, we're FaceTiming right now. So I, I haven't been in studio since I'm going to say early June last year. So yeah, we've been doing the show. Yeah. Not, not in the same room, which 
I'm sure you guys know, has a lot of challenges, right? And so we're doing three hours, and we got commercials, we've got guests, and a lot of moving parts. And somehow I've, I've had the the odd, I guess, technical malfunction with my Opal app cutting out or dropping, but it's been great so far. You know, overall, it's been such a change. Like, and you mentioned on our end, like, we've had to completely change everything, like, even with these interviews, doing more of that audio and not doing as much video as we would like, because that's just the way it is right now. But hopefully, everything comes back in terms of normality. So, one thing I want to bring up, too, that's in connection with this, and I remember asking TK this because. Uh, of course, to tell listeners, that's Tyler Candy. Just in case no one from Sioux St. Marie knows what that, or outside of St. Marie knows what that is. Uh, obviously, a Stanley Cup champion of Pittsburgh as well. He, he, of course, you guys got a Stanley Cup ring, get your name on the cup, etc. But your Stanley Cup ring, do you wear that out, or do you have it on lock and key somewhere? What was that story? Just cut out a second. No, the the oh. uh, Stanley Cup, your Stanley Cup ring. Do you have that okay. on lock and key, or do you like wear that out? Oh. Off. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't keep it in the house. No, no, <laughs> uh, it's in a safety deposit box. Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't have it here. I have like the mini Stanley Cup. I don't know how um, compared to the ring, it's it's nothing close. But yeah, I've taken it out the odd time for an event or if a buddy wants to see it or a charity charity event, I'll I'll take it out. But yeah, it's it stays in the bank. I I don't wear it. I, I have nowhere to you know, keep it safe here. So yeah, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't get out too often. <laughs> Alex. We're both huge Leafs fans. So I just want to nerd out a little bit. When it comes to being in the locker room for that little tenure that you had there, do you know any characters, stories that came up that kind of stuck with you while you were in that locker room? Or is there uh, a player on the team that maybe the media portrays in a completely different fashion than uh, how you remember them? With the Leaf team, Leafs team that I played on in in 2010, uh, Dion Phaneuf was a captain. Uh, just loud personality, was one of those vocal leaders, and obviously played hard on the ice and filled that role. Um, was was great in the room uh, on a number of different levels. So it, it's it's important to have someone like that uh, part of the leadership group. Yeah, it was a little bit of everything, right? We had a little bit of toughness. I played with uh, with Orzy, and uh, my other winger would always we always seems like we had we had a different, you know, third guy in the line every single game that we played. Different week, uh, usually you get a guy that's a healthy scratch coming in, or somebody that hasn't been playing well in the top three lines gets put down. But yeah, it was you know Freddie Schuster there, I think for for a couple games with us. Yeah, a little bit of toughness, a little bit of scoring with with Phil and Tyler Bozak. Uh, Kadri was there. Yeah, it was um, you know it was it was a good team. Um, uh, obviously underperformed, and there was a lot of expectation. But yeah, a lot of character, and you know I, I wasn't there with that Leaf Leafs team too long. I I was down with the Marlies into November. So, um, but yeah, just around the organization, it was. You know, a lot of good players and developed a lot of good prospects during my time. And unfortunate that group didn't have any, uh, you know, more success. I think it's kind of funny that you said Fanuf's a, a vocal leader, somebody that's a, a little bit louder in the locker room. Because when he, when he would do his post-game scrums and things like that, he seemed pretty reserved. But is that the case for a lot of guys where if the microphones and cameras are out, they're kind of reining it in a little bit. But as soon as that locker room door closes, it's it's all, you know, everybody lets loose a little bit more. Yeah, a- yeah, it's yeah. Guys are there's most guys are quiet when they do their post game interviews. You've seen a handful of guys. They they don't want to say too much. They'll answer all the questions, be good about it, but at the end of the day, they don't. Usually, it's not their personality when they come and do the media availability. There's the odd guy. You see it more in basketball, in baseball, in in football, in you know in the NFL. But with hockey players, yeah, it's not too not too often you see a, a guy's personality really come out in, the, in a post-game interview. Who would <laughs> that, you say is uh, someone that that definitely puts their personality out there, even when it comes to the interviews? Is there anybody that comes to your mind when you think of that? Well, the two guys that do a lot of media now for Sportsnet, Colby Armstrong and Kevin Bieksa, they were <laughs> – I, I didn't get to play with Bieksa, but – 
he, you know, he was, he was, he was very chatty on the ice. And whenever he did his interviews, he'd give you in-depth answers. And you see that a lot in hockey night in Canada. And when he does the games on Sportsnet, same goes for, for army Colby Armstrong. He comes on our show every once in a while and you get to see him, you know, as an analyst on Sportsnet and those guys that were, you know, vocal in the room or on the ice and, would always chat everyone up. They always seemed to get into media. I, I was definitely not one of those guys. And, you know, it takes a special personality to go into media after. I think it's not for everybody. You can be great at breaking a, a game down or you can be a, a great speaker. But to put both of them together, be entertaining and to be in the spotlight all the time, it's it's a lot and it's not for everyone. No, you know what? It's it's Kevin Bieksa. You say watch him on Hockey Night in Canada every weekend. He seems like an absolute beauty. Okay, you know it's he's always got his hair done up nice. He's got the suit on. It and his uh, his chirps are pretty funny all the time. And even um, you know Elliot Friedman can get in there with the chirps once in a while as well. But you know what? The one thing I wanted to bring up with the Leafs, and we didn't touch on this, there's a couple things. But the first thing was Ron Wilson as a coach overall in the Luke Shen kind of era in Toronto. Uh, it was in his third year, I believe, when you were there. So like he was kind of already in. Let's say this as frank as I can. Leaf fans were already pegging him as a failure <laughs> or as a project that wasn't working out because definitely as a hard market, as we all know. Uh, do you think Ron Wilson, and this is kind of a, maybe a question that doesn't get asked too often, but did he do wrong or did the Leafs management do wrong by Luke Shen's development? No, I don't think so. No. It's it's tough, right? When do you bring a guy along? At 18, a lot of guys can play uh, for defensemen. I think it's tough. When you're a defenseman, you really don't know what you have until 250, 350 games, right? And you hear a lot of coaches talk about it. Some even say 400 games. It's a it's, Toronto's had a tough track. You know, their track record of developing defensemen, first round defensemen, uh, hasn't been great. And I just think this city puts a lot of pressure on you as a prospect. So if you if you can't separate everything that's being said about you, uh, and and you know your on ice performance, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. And sometimes you just get brought a little, you know, you get brought up a little bit too quickly. And and I, I think Luke Shen's he's had a, a decent career. It's just it's unfortunate that. He he, you know the expectation on him was so high. I don't think I don't think there, he could have played. Um, I think it would have been almost impossible to fill those expectations while he was in Toronto. It would have been definitely tough. You know what? If we got the Leafs Nation, which is definitely extremely tough. We talked about this on the previous show that we had as well with Montreal. There's other markets that are definitely stronger than others. But I want to fast forward to now uh, on the analyst side for yourself. This year, 2021, and I must remind listeners, at the time of this recording, no trade deadline has occurred yet. But overall, uh, and the reason why I, I don't know why I really mentioned the Leafs decor on this question or, or in terms of the trade deadline. But the question that I want to bring up to you is, is this the best defensive Leafs team that you have seen for quite some time. Yeah, they've they've made a lot of improvements from last year. Ones that stick out for me are they're protecting the front of the net a little bit more, whether that's a systems change or just a personnel change on the back end. I think bringing in a guy like Bogosian, TJ Brody, um, I, I think those are are huge ads for them. And they bring you some stability back there, right? It's uh, it's it's a completely different look, and um, I I lo- I love the fact that they have those guys and that they're great additions. I think they make it really tough. Even going back to Muzzin, I think he really stabilizes the back end. It's they're tougher to play against, and that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, I think the forwards are a little bit more mature, right? Nylander, Matthews, Marner—they eat up a lot of minutes, and if you know if they—they're not playing good defense. It's tough when you have that those three guys up front logging those amount of minutes. If they don't play well without the puck, or they don't, you know, they don't pay attention to the details of defense, you're going to give up a lot of you know juicy scoring chances, and you're going to be hemmed in your end a lot of nights. So the fact that they—they're 
a lot more conscientious on the back end when they're playing defense. It's it's great, right? And it's a 200-foot game, and all those guys are developing. I really notice uh, a big jump from Matthews. He's a lot. He's more physical in his own end. He's playing, you know, he's in around the net. He's, I think that's, it's making his offense game even better, right? He's getting the puck out a lot quicker. And when you're tougher to play against defensively, guys don't want to go out against that, right? It's, it's like when I played, it was going against Zetterberg and Datsuk, two of the best offensive skilled guys in the league, but they were two of the guys that were toughest to play against when, when you were in their end. So it was like, you know, whenever you had the puck in their end, you almost didn't want to give it away. It was like you weren't getting any scoring chances, but you didn't want to hand it over easily to those guys because as soon as they got it, you know you were in trouble. So I think that's a situation with Matthews a lot better defensively, and and, and you can see the change in his offensive game because, you know, he, he's going to, you know, He's had a little trouble here scoring the last four games. He's been held off the sheet, but how many chances is he getting every game? He's hitting goal posts. He's had a couple empty netters he hasn't been able to convert on. But overall, his game's a lot better. And those three, it's a lot better. And like you mentioned, their defensive zone, is they've been a lot better this year than last. And with as many as much of as an improvement as you've seen in this team, do you think they should do something at the trade deadline, or do you think they should sit with the team that they have now? Making a move up front and getting a little bit more depth. I think that third line center spot's a question mark from the Engvall's done a great job. The him, Hyman, and Mikhaev have done uh, amazing things down there. Uh, really tough to play against. Uh, good at retrieving pucks in the offensive zone. They always seem to have a guy in front of the net. They put pressure on defensemen taking pucks wide. There's a little bit of speed. There's a there's some size on the line and I like it. Right. And then you had Hyman and Hyman's been, he's been on fire this year. He, he, he's been doing everything he's done the last couple of years, except he's scoring more now. Right. That's always been the one thing of his game where it's, Oh yeah, he does everything, but he doesn't quite have the finish that a top six forward would have. And he has the finish now. So you add him on that line. It's been very effective, but Engvall, realistically, on a cup-contending team would be a fourth-line centerman. So that's one thing I'd like to see is is explore some third-line centerman options. And then maybe bringing in a top-nine winger, whether that's, you know, I, I don't think it's a guy with skill. I don't, I don't think Taylor Hall is the answer, a great player. But uh, a Boone Jenner, a Miles Wood, uh, a Felino, somebody like that, right? A Paul Mary, it's... One of those guys that has a little bite to their game, as we say in the morning show, we, we say a little bit of crag, right? A little bit of sandpaper. And I think that player could really change the complexity of this forward group. But in saying that, I the one thing I, I, I would say is not a concern, but something to look at is just the Tavares Nylander second line. Makeup and I know Galchenyuk has had two games there, but I, I don't think it's a long-term solution. John Tavares, they have to find a way to get him going because he's had a good se- he's had a good season this point, but nowhere where he was a couple of years ago, right? And oh, not even close. Yeah, and 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 you can say that him and Nylander haven't been working great together when it was him and when it was Tavares and and Marner. I mean, that duel was, was unstoppable, but I, I don't think you can break up Matthews and Marner at this point. Do you look into Frederick Anderson's play too much, or do you think he's going to bounce back? I think he'll bounce back. I, he's still the starter for me. Yeah. I know everyone's calling for Campbell to to take the reins now. I I've seen can... Jonathan Quick trade rumors, which, oh, come no. on. No. Yeah, maybe maybe a couple years ago, but he's getting <laughs> up there. He's getting up there in age, and his game's falling off a little bit too, right? It it happens as goaltenders get older. Freddie Anderson has played some of the most minutes in the league the last five years. He's up there with Hellebuck, Vasilevsky, and Price. That adds. A, I I think people aren't looking at that enough. It's easy to go and play a game once in a while and win. Or, you know, you play three, four games to start a season after 30 games played with your team. It's You can win those four games. I don't think it's 
I, I, I don't think you should be labeled as a starter after winning just a couple. In saying that, I think this is good. I, I think a little bit of competition is healthy with your goaltenders. Yep. But Freddie's still the starter in my mind. But let's remember the trouble we've had in this city with the backup situation, right? Mm-hmm. Now that we have Campbell here and he's played well when he's gone in, that's why the Leafs went out and got him. That's They have a viable option as a backup goaltender. It's okay if he starts 4-0. It's okay if he has a one you know, goal against average. I, I, I just think that as soon as... You know, Freddie's games, it's gone sideways a little bit this year. But looking to his game Friday night, I don't know which one of those goals I say shouldn't have gone in. Like, I, I don't I don't quite understand the the total frustration with Leafs, the Leafs fans right now. I understand when, you know, Campbell's playing so well. And I've said this, I've said this for weeks, even before this whole goalie controversy has happened. I think Campbell should be getting more games, not just the back-to-backs. Maybe Freddie, maybe lightening his load by 10%, maybe that makes him more effective. Maybe that's the playoff goaltender we've wanted here the last five years. So I'm okay with giving Campbell some more games. I I don't think he's the starter yet. I think you have to let him run with it here, especially if Freddie's battling something, right? We know he had the early injury injury. lower body and now it's apparently something else uh, another injury he's dealing with so until he can get that under control um you know let Campbell run with it I, I he hasn't played a lot of games right I think the the most he's played in a, in a season is what 30 something games and I, I I don't think you can just crown him as as the starter right now uh, it's it's Freddie's job he's he's been the guy that's uh, bailed this team out through a lot of different parts of the last you know, a couple seasons. I don't think you can move on from him just that easily. It's a good point. You know what? It's of all we we've had so much love for Freddie, and a lot of the criticism definitely comes from where people look at his stats and elimination. And I've looked at those stats too. I know Par. We've talked about that on shows. And you, you know, when it comes to the season, he's had months where he's consistently not doing as well. When we're when we're obviously normal with a regular schedule, but. You know, Freddie Anderson is somebody who is a great guy in the locker room with the guys, too. He's loved by the guys, and he's supported by the guys. And I feel like the, he is somebody who can battle back. And you said it right there, Mike, was that option as a backup. Okay, I can't recall a, a backup option since we had, unless you want to look at John Sebastian O'Ban when they had that run back in, I can't remember the year now, top of my head. I think it might have been 06 or something around that area when they had that 9-0 run at the end of the year and then they didn't make the playoffs because of uh, New Jersey Devils winning in a shootout, I believe, against the Islanders. I, I, if yeah. I remember correctly, yeah, I'm trying to get yeah. all that correct right now. So it's, you know, there's a time right now where you look at Jack Campbell. Dubas did his job there in the deadline. Uh, of course, the time this recording, it's March the 23rd as we record and it's going to be a little bit later when this is uploaded, of course, but we will have um, we'll see what happens with the deadline. And I really think that the Leafs do need to add that forward piece. They've really mentioned Matias Ekholm. I'm interested in that, but I think the price might be high. I've always been a fan of Max Domi, but I've been told by a lot of people they should stay away from that. And I'm starting to agree a little bit more with that. It's going to be interesting what the Leafs can certainly do. And uh, what, the last topic I want to get into, Mike, before we let you go, is players becoming coaches. Now, of course, your end, you're familiar with being involved with coaching. You've had uh, coaches that were players, most notably, as we talked on a previous show, Wayne Gretzky. And you can even look at coaches that weren't players at a high-level background. John Cooper and even Scotty Bowman didn't play a pro at a high level uh, that some players didn't play as coaches, as I should say. And even though uh, you've had coaches that were players, a.k.a. Wayne Gretzky, do you think it's a good idea and you think it's the best transition that players become coaches, or do you think it really matters? AKA Rod Brindamore. You play with him on the Canes. Uh, you also played with Sue Boy Ron Francis, who's obviously going to be GM in Seattle uh, and being a part of Seattle, of course, not franchise. So Rod Brindamore is my point with this uh, question. Uh, most notably is, do you think players make good coaches or truly does it matter? Yeah, I think I think players make good coaches. It's I, I've been lucky to play for a, a lot of good coaches in my time in the NHL and even in the minors, guys that helped me develop and 
you know, get me ready for that, that jump to the, you know, to the show. And, um, Wayne was great in Phoenix and just all the, you know, obviously what he did in his career, being the greatest player of all time. I think that's a tough situation to go into as a former player. Um, just, you know, the expectation on you, right. As being the greatest all time player, um, you know, I think the expectation on him was was a little bit unfair at times. You know, before I was there, while I was there, and and even after, and it's it's tough, right? Um, a lot. I played for Peter Laviolette was great. Uh, Paul Maurice, who we had on the show last week. Um, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff as assistant coach with UFT. I, I like there's something I implement some part of some system or practice in a drill or something I tell a player giving him advice that I learned from him 20 years ago. So I was very fortunate for the coaches that I had during my career and they definitely helped me keep me, um, you know, at the pro level for 13 years and um, seeing what Rod Brendamore is doing now. I got to play with him in Carolina and you know, I've seen him in interviews and behind the bench and how animated he gets. It's it's different than Rod Brendamore, the player. So uh, <laughs> I love I love seeing it, how fired up he gets. And when they show him in the room talking to the team and his postgame speeches, he, he was a great guy. He was he was always good to me when I was in Carolina and, and I'm happy to see him succeed there. Oh, he's he's definitely succeeding 100. percent I love his. You got you can see his veins coming out of his face when he's hollering to the guy. He's an absolute truck still too. Like when he works out with the guys, he's in better shape than half those guys on that team. I think still, in my honest opinion. But you know, Mike, I'm gonna transition to kind of the conclusion portion here, and I want to go into the bonus questions. And I want to go first with it. I'm kind of gonna go off the board with my bonus question here with you. Uh, and it's actually just about like today. Obviously, we had an announcement uh, like they from the former board of governors approval after voting uh, it's been completed it's a done deals about the draft lottery so apparently there's been kind of adjustments to the draft lottery such as only two lottery wins or fewer over a five-year period so the oilers look like they're gonna be missing out on that a little bit uh teams jumping no higher than 10 spots and a lottery for just picks one and two uh so the draft lottery making the changes i kind of want to pick your uh, brain with the draft lottery, was this a needed change? Do you approve of the change? What are your thoughts about the change in the draft lottery? Yeah, I I think you can make some changes to what they've had in the past. And the fact that you don't want it to give it, you know, you don't want to give someone the first overall pick that just missed the playoffs, right? I, at the same time, I don't think you'll ever find a perfect system. The play, The teams like the Red Wings, the Senators they should be getting that first overall pick, right? It shouldn't go to someone that just misses out on the playoffs. And I know the league it has all these draft lottery and all these rules. Uh, it, it, it's a way to deter teams from tanking. And I get that and I respect that. But some of these organizations, they have to have the, the first, second, or third pick. You know, you want that franchise player or at least a crack at it to really, you know, help move your franchise forward, your, your organization. So I, I, I like that. I like some of these changes they've made, but at the end of the day, you're never going to find a perfect system and we'll see how the next couple of years work out with these new changes. Definitely. Alex. Uh, what's the coolest piece of Mike Zigamanis paraphernalia that you have? Is it a bobblehead? Is it one of your rookie cards? Do you have anything like that? <laughs> Yeah, well, I've got a couple of cards out, and I had the I had the bobblehead in the minors with the Marlies the one year. Um, yeah, that's I, I think you know that's about it. I, I don't have anything you know crazy, and you know I don't have these big cardboard cutouts of some <laughs> you know some company I was advertising for and doing and branding. But yeah, I, I would say maybe the bobblehead with the Marlies is is probably um, one of those things where. When people see it, they're like, oh, you got your own bobblehead. You've really made it. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people have these. A lot of players have them, but sure. <laughs> then you respond with, you should see my lockbox. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. So, you know what? The big thing is, though, is that that lockbox, we can't, you're not going to disclose where that lockbox is, are you? So no one can come over and take it. 
<laughs> oh, the oh for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's it's in the you know, bag. The other box. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's you know funny. It is. It is. You know what? It's definitely a treasurable memory that you have winning the Stanley Cup. There's nothing better. It's what you dream of when you're shooting the pucks out in the yard. And, you know, like I was looking back even at previous, like I've looked at Netflix documentaries as I give a little plug to Netflix here, who most certainly don't need a plug. Uh, but they the blockbuster and all these things that you like, they have the, you used to go to blockbuster, rent the movie. Yeah. I used to do that as a kid, but a lot of my time as a kid were shooting pucks gets my dad's garage door and putting dents in them. And you just look back at all those times of when you're shooting that puck, you just dream of winning that Stanley cup or just being a part of a Stanley cup celebration. You were able to be part of that. So that's uh, definitely the, the biggest thing that I would envy the world of sports is having that celebration. Yes. I was able to go to Tyler Kennedy's house to lift the cup, uh, but it's not the same thing as it, you know, or it, like winning the Stanley cup, being a part of the team to do it. Now, Mike, I want to say thank you for my end. I'm going to go to par first of, uh, of course, uh, to say his thank yous as well. Then I give you the floor uh, for doing this part two edition with us here on the game sports show. A uh, spoiler alert. There will probably be a part three down the road, maybe in terms of the off season, as we get more closer to the draft. And then by then we'll be doing video so we can have face to face reactions. I, I want to say thank you for taking the time again uh, to come on the show for part two Par. Yeah, I can't believe you uh, You said earlier before the show you tried to move a doctor's appointment around for us. So I guess that goes to show you how important we really are. We really appreciate you having you, having you on, Mike. Guys, thanks for having me on again. It was a pleasure. Uh, love talking hockey, love talking the Leafs, and uh, look forward to doing it again. Definitely. No, it's always great. Mike, you and I will certainly be in touch. And if I ever go down to that Toronto region, which I usually do in the summer and during the year, I usually go catch a couple Leaf games and uh, a couple Jays games. But we'll see when that all gets back to normal. I'll have to make sure I, I shoot you a message. It'd be nice to meet up sometime and meet you in person at one of those games, hopefully sometime soon. But like I said, as, as I mentioned, sorry, we'll definitely try to schedule part three. We've never had a part three on the show the part twos that we have had has been joe bowen and colin miller and we have scheduled paul maurice for a part two in the near future so hopefully uh you know you can be the first guest to have a part three edition that would be uh definitely history in the making for the game sports show uh nonetheless <laughs> <laughs> thanks again to mike zingamanis of course to alex parr and to you the listeners for taking the time to make us a part of your day for this special edition upload if you love the show or just like hearing the content from the game sports show make sure you hit like follow and subscribe on all of the platforms make sure to check out mike zingamanis on social media you can get all the tags at, through of course social media and as well as if you listen to the first edition you should already have the Mike Zingamanis on social media. So I've already hit follow on his pages as well. If just, especially if you want to talk about the Toronto sports, there's no one, no other bigger Leaf fan than Mike Zingamanis, myself or Alex. Okay. I think we're all tied. I think Mike might debate that and say that he's a bigger fan than us, but nonetheless, it's been a great time to have Mike on. And I want to say as well, make sure you follow us on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Podbean, Podtail, as well as Facebook and Instagram and our website, the game sports show.com. Also, Keep your stick on the ice, swing your bats, catch your touchdowns, drain your threes, and shoot your shots. Booyah.